0: You're listening to Tatiana is Everyone, an Orphan Black podcast. I'm your host, Chris. And I'm your host, Stephanie. And in this episode, we are discussing episode seven
1: of season four of Orphan Black, the antisocialism of sex. While there will be spoilers for that episode, we're talking about anything and everything that happened. We will not include
0: any spoilers for future episodes. You sounded really excited about this being episode seven.
1: I know, I don't know why. <laughs> I should be sad, like, oh, we're on the downward stretch of, uh, well, not downward as in quality-wise, but we're in the home stretch of, se- of season four, and and I've so been enjoying this season, so I don't know why I sounded so excited about episode seven! <laughs> but while I, I did enjoy this episode, I continue to really be enjoying season four, it might actually be becoming my favorite season of the show,
0: I'm gonna say, Maybe? <laughs> you sounded really uncertain about that well it's not over yet so i no, you know i know. have I know. to evaluate to. it as a whole it is it's a really solid season
1: i enjoyed this episode but it was enjoyable but not enjoyable in like a happy fun way which orphan black can also be it was enjoyable and it kind of crushed me way
0: but also not it's not crushing in the way last week's episode was crushing because now it's the fallout of the stuff that happened last week
1: Absolutely. It it was a weird episode in a way because it was both like a breather in that not a whole lot of plot stuff happened. It was basically people reacting to what happened last week. But it was also such a punishing episode (laughs) because it was very
0: mournful. Yeah, because
1: so much stuff happened. And I was just tense and worried. Pretty much the entire episode. I was leaning forward. I, I was tense while I was watching.
0: Me too. And there I were mean, so many crying we're Tatiana supposed to be. Mislanis. <laughs> the Crying Mislanis should be like a band a band <laughs> name. Oh, somebody start an all girl punk band and call it the Crying Mislanis, please. Well, if it's a punk band, we could do it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> True. <laughs> <laughs> but in this episode, everybody is blaming themselves. We hear Mrs. S., Kasima, Sarah, all of them either say that they blame themselves, or in Sarah's case, Kira said she blamed herself. And Cosima and Sarah are clearly toward the end of their ropes, if not at the very end.
0: Which is never a good thing, because as we've discussed before, the clones kind of have impulse control issues. They do! And I just, I'm so glad that they have the support system that they have. Mm Mm-hmm. Because otherwise things could have gone very, very badly.
1: Namely Scott and Felix, two fantastic guys. And Art, really. You know? Mm -hmm. Donnie tried. He tried. But he was a little
0: more inept than Scott, Felix, and Art. It's one of those things, I, I have mixed feelings about the way Donnie was trying to handle things. Yeah, Because I do feel like he was being very genuinely supportive, but yes. it's just not what Allison needed right then. Yes, absolutely. So
1: props to Donnie, but it just it just wasn't quite working for for Allison. But I still think, like you were saying, we end this episode with hope. Cosima has hope again because of what Felix told her. There was that lovely scene between Mrs. S and Sarah, the wordless scene between the two of them at the end of the episode. Both of those things, MK contacting Kira, what's that about? All of those things gave me hope. Right. So why don't we start by talking about the stuff going on with Lucian, because that was a little bit separate from everything else going on. Everything else was kind of connected in some way.
0: It's true. And I'm vaguely uncertain of exactly what's happening here, <laughs> mm. because it starts off, Susan is... Kind of a mess, yeah. which makes sense given what happened last episode. She wasn't wearing shoes, Chris. She's such a mess. <laughs> I didn't
1: mean, like... Oh, I know, but I just, I love how that's Susan Duncan unraveled. and She
0: looks gorgeous and she's <laughs> wearing no shoes. <laughs> she looks a little tired. And lying on the couch.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> but, you know, compared to how we've seen her before, it's, yes. it's like, man, what happened? It looks <laughs> like she went on a bender. She's casually reclining. It's weird. <laughs> <laughs> but according to what she was telling Rachel, it seems like she's anticipating the regime change within Neolution. Right. And then there's that weird video conference call that they have with Evie Cho. Terrible Evicho. Cho. Terrible. <sighs> she is. She's the worst. But it's interesting because it seems like Susan is still trying to act as if she has... Power. Right, power and authority and stuff, and it's talking about having Rachel step into a position of power beside her, basically. Which doesn't seem like it's going to happen.
1: No. <laughs> right? No, absolutely not. Evie has that terrible cutting line to Rachel about how did you actually think we'd put a clone in any type of position of authority?
0: Mm-mm. Ugh, stupid Evie Cho.
1: And that's really what defined Rachel as a person, is her position within... The organization, the fact that she was wa- raised self-aware, so Evie chose just being terrible to Rachel in this episode. She also had that terrible line when Rachel was having trouble speaking because, you know, she got stabbed through the eye and had brain damage. Where Evie said, "Cat got your tongue?" Like, oh, she's terrible,
0: such a jerk. Of course, Rachel says something not too dissimilar to Ira.
1: It's true. I was recognizing the fact that Evie is so terrible. It actually makes Rachel a bit more sympathetic. Yeah. I was thinking that too. Yeah. Cause that's the thing about Rachel. And I like that they have done this with her character. They, the show, I don't think at least, has tried to redeem her a hundred percent. She's still like a terrible person, but you can see her good qualities. And she's very, I, I think you still can have sympathy for her, even though you see, oh, she's kind of a terrible person.
0: That is one of the fascinating things. About this show, because we had wondered before, were they going to try and pull a Helena where she's just kind of like a cuddly killer? <laughs> but they haven't. Like, no. she's not. She's – she is very sympathetic, which is interesting. But also, I don't like her. <laughs> no.
1: No, because what she says to Ira is, yes, it's unfortunate you found such an
0: ineffective means of suicide. Oh, my God, Rachel. <laughs> yeah. That's not cool. <laughs> Ugh. Why are you like that, Rachel? <laughs> Speaking of Ira – Speaking of Ira, did you notice what he called Susan? I did, because he calls Susan mother, which, you know, I was trying to be open-minded about the whole thing before. Me too. But, no, this is gross. It's gross now, and nope. Nope. We're saying nope. That
1: is, no. Nope. (laughs) So speaking of the gross... We got an email from John asking why Susan Duncan isn't affected by the caster pathogen, given that it looks like she's having a sexual relationship with Ira. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a good question. I, I think we saw back in, in Season 3 that the effects of the pathogen were
0: temporary. Like, Gracie was ill, but then she came through it. It didn't kill her. Right. I had the same conversation with my dad because my dad was asking me about it, except my dad had the facts wrong and he thought that it killed people. Ah. And I was like, no, no, they just get sick for a while, and it mutates or it, it affects the ovaries because it's a a uh, prion disease, so it misfolds the proteins and affects the ovaries, and then they seem to get over it okay. Because we saw Gracie get over it, we saw Patty get sick, but she seemed to be okay aside from the red eyes. So right, yeah, there's no indication that it kills the people, so.
1: So it's possible that Susan Duncan was affected by the pathogen prior to this. And I'm guessing, given her age, that sort of sterilization might not be as as a traumatic type thing. Like, it was still awful that they got sick and things, but not quite as traumatic as a young woman then realizing she was infertile.
0: Plus, I mean, I assume she knew it would happen before it would have happened to her. So I don't know. I don't remember if we talked about this back in season three or not. I'm
1: curious if it only results from unprotected sex. Maybe they use condoms or something and that prevents
0: her from being affected by the castor pathogen. I don't know. They've been vague about details. Exactly.
1: But through that phone call with Evie, she made clear that essentially Susan Duncan was being stripped of her resources, which were getting funneled to Evie's project now, the little maggot bots and her gene therapy. And in talking about how Lita was going to be shut down... She thankfully said that the Naive clones will just be cut loose, but says that Sarah and her sisters will have to be dealt with in a less humanita- humanitarian way or something like that. And that makes me nervous.
0: Me too. Because, again, as much as we think Rachel is terrible, it seems like Evie Cho is maybe more terrible than Rachel. And that's terrifying. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Don't you think, though, that where where we see Duco go to Allison's house, arrest Adani, don't you think that's part of Evie's starting to take care of Sarah and her sisters?
0: Quite possibly, yeah. I actually couldn't tell if it was part of that, or if Duco was doing that as sort of retaliation for art kicking the crap out of him.
1: I guess both could be possible, yeah. But because he referenced Kendall so explicitly and made clear to her that he knew more than he really should... It felt part of Evie's plan to me, but we, uh, obviously we shall see. But like we were saying about Rachel earlier, I think she does have good quality. She has sympathetic moments. And I actually really quite admired her for the conversation that she had with Charlotte in this episode.
0: Mm-hmm. Even though the tone, I think, could have used some adjustment, <laughs> but... <laughs> I do appreciate how she was being really honest with Charlotte, which it feels like is something that probably hasn't really happened before. I also noted that
1: exchange that they had when Charlotte was painting and she talked about how on the island there were monsters out on the island, which, again, I think was a reference to Island of Dr. Moreau, which is what Susan Duncan called it at the beginning Mm -hmm. of the episode. And Rachel has that line where she says,
0: I'm afraid the only monsters here are us. That's a good line. It was a really good line. And then we also got an email from Colleen, and she mentioned, whatever that pixel Lita swan thing is, I already hate it. What is up with the swan? Was it floating? Uh, I don't think so, but maybe? It
1: looked, in in some of the later shots, before it disappeared, it looked like it was floating in the air. I'm baffled by the Lita swan and what that means. I mean, she has a bionic eye. Right, I was going to say Rachel seemed to indicate it had to do with her eye, her bionic eye. But what does that mean? Why is her bionic eye seeing a swan? Well, <laughs>
0: <laughs> tell me, Chris. Tell me. <laughs> okay, so they they once again in this episode reference the Leda and the Swan myth. Right. It was in that page in the book that Susan showed Rachel regarding the the history and origin of Neolution. So once again, bringing bringing up the myth of Leda and the Swan. And if you don't remember the myth of Leta and the swan, Zeus disguises himself as a swan and somehow seduces Leta. Or Or, rapes her, depending on the telling. That's true. And then they have children, including Castor and Pollux and, what, Clytemnestra, and I always forget the fourth one. Helen. Helen, thank you. The easiest name to remember. (laughs) That's why I don't remember it. (laughs) Surely it must be weirder, right? (laughs) Pretty much. We've had numerous references to this in in past episodes, including Ethan Duncan being referred to as Swan Man. Right. So I'm not saying it's Ethan Duncan, because that kind of doesn't make sense. So yeah, I don't know what the deal is with the the Lita Swan, but I'm just – I assume it is some other – perhaps a more benevolent figure in Neolution? I don't know. This is me being hopeful, really. Hmm. But yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it somehow leads Rachel on some sort of journey. You know, because they keep referencing Alice in Wonderland. So maybe, I don't know. Leading her down the swan hole. Yes, <laughs> Leading exactly her to the, that.
1: To the swan pond.
0: And so on, on the other side of the coin, I don't know, world possibly? The more Who depressing knows? side of the coin. <laughs> Which, I mean, that's saying something. But we have Sarah poor poor sarah who <sighs> the girl can just not catch a break because not only is she feeling guilty already but then she goes and talks to mrs s and mrs s is also laying the guilt trip on her which you'd you'd anticipated last week
1: yeah i feel like we were both right last week when we were talking about are they laying the groundwork for a rift between mrs s and Sarah, I was thinking, yes, you were being hopeful and saying, but maybe it'll bring them together. And I think we got a little bit of both because we got a rift with Mrs. S, but we also got Felix and Sarah's relationship coming back together
0: stronger. And there was that moment of understanding at the end, thank goodness, but.
1: Yes. But it begins with S telling, saying to Sarah, you came to be an orphan, that's all you'll ever be. Ouch, S. Like a knife through my heart. Ouch. She's calling her mum, both her and and Felix called Mrs. S mum in this episode, which always gets me all happy. <sighs> Mrs. S.
0: It's sad, but, you know, grief makes people do weird things, so. Yeah. I'm trying to be forgiving.
1: <laughs> oh, of course. I think it's absolutely understandable mm-hmm. why she was upset and why she was lashing out. That doesn't but mean- still like a knife through my heart. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't mean that's okay what she did, but it's understandable.
0: Right. I feel like this show's pretty good about that kind of thing. Like we were talking about with Rachel, right?
1: Yes. But I I have been so solidly on S's side for so many seasons now. It was just like, oh, S, I can't be on your side in this moment. I know. If you've seen the advertisements for this season, they have included this phrase about, you know, we sometimes need to go back to the beginning to make progress and things like that. And I do feel like in this episode, that's where Sarah goes, is she really seems to revert to who she was prior to getting involved in all of the clone stuff and i feel like i should have seen it coming because of the hair i mentioned in a previous (laughs) episode sure she's wearing her hair differently this season more similar to the way that she wore it in episode 101 and here in this episode we see when she's getting her shirt taken off of her i think she's wearing the exact same bra she was wearing
0: in the first episode (laughs) I did not pay that close attention to her bra, so I I don't know. Don't
1: make it make sound like that. I'm just looking (laughs) at the screen, Chris.
0: I'm teasing. Although I really wasn't looking close enough that I mean, I I don't know. I don't remember.
1: But do you remember the sequence where she's getting ready in the bathroom to try to pretend to be Beth and she's wearing that bra with all the strappies on the back? Yes. She was wearing a bra that looked very similar to that in the club scene.
0: Fair enough. But yeah, there has been like a, a very distinct stylistic change or, or as you say, really reverting back to that look, which, you know, I, I don't know character wise necessarily what it is they're going for, but I do think it is largely tied, you know, for the, the creators tied to the fact that they brought Beth back. Cause so, so much of it has been sort of halfway, I guess kind of halfway between Sarah and Beth the past couple seasons, or at least Sarah as presented in episode 101. I agree.
1: I think in seasons, you know, season one, she was pretending to be Beth for a big chunk of it. So she was trying to mimic what she thought was, was Beth's style. Season two and three, I feel like she was somewhere in the middle, but season four, she really has reverted more to kind of punk rock Sarah. And I think part of that is, you know, obviously in this episode, it's grief, it's a desperation, things like that. And I think that maybe is what led into it in season four. But I don't know, obviously, I think it's a stylistic choice for other reasons,
0: too. Mm -hmm. But yeah, speaking of Sarah of episode 101, we get a lot of, you know, reckless behavior from her in this episode. And it's rather disconcerting.
1: Yeah, I knew that Orphan Black was not this type of show, and it wouldn't be this easy. But when they were showing Felix in the bar talking to Dizzy as she's, what are those called? Drawing coke lines, that's not the right word. (laughs) Oh. Clearly I am cutting, that's what it's called.
0: (laughs) Oh yeah, I would not have gotten there.
1: (laughs) Cutting the coke. I know I know nothing. (laughs) Cutting the coke or whatever it was, whatever drug it was, making into the little lines. I kept hoping that Dizzy would be honest and tell Felix where Sarah was and he'd come in and he'd stop her and but at the same time I knew Orphan Black is not that simple of a show. You know it's not the end of the world, but at the same time, you know, maybe if he had caught her then she wouldn't gone down quite as far as she did. Oh, Sarah,
0: it's not surprising, really, but at the same time, you're kind of like, be at home with your daughter and your and your mother. That's just me though, but yeah, in that in that club scene, we get an appearance by Peaches,
1: yay, Peaches, as soon as I heard those opening chords of. Girls want to be here. I was like, "Oh boy, bisexual shenanigans must be imminent." You know. <laughs> Isn't it boys want to be her? Thank you. Boys want to be here. Sorry, she yeah. says both in the chorus and sometimes I forget what the actual title is. Boys want to be here. But girls want to be Cuz everybody
0: too. everybody wants to be here. Everybody wants to be her I want to be here. <laughs> so do
1: you. Wait, no, that doesn't make sense.
0: I think it's yes I do is after. Yes I do. There, you're right. <laughs> But yeah, I, I agree with you. As soon as you hear that, you're kind of like, really? <laughs> Once again, the, the song that's like a little, a little on the
1: nose for the, the threesome, mm-hmm, the threesome scenes. Colleen also said in her email, I think this is supposed to say, ah, bisexual Sarah Manning, my tiny gay heart cannot handle this. Holy heck. I'm editing. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Holy. <laughs> Holy
1: heck. And while it's, it wasn't, particularly surprising to me what we talked about at the end of season two when she gets when sarah's asked that question that we don't hear the answer to when she turns herself over to dyad about you know
0: oh that's right i know we talked about it i couldn't remember why
1: <laughs> what you know what's your sexual orientation we don't hear the answer we had talked about the fact that eh, we could see sarah dating her girl especially when she was a teenager to maybe make mrs s angry so i wasn't surprised would I, it
0: make mrs s angry i feel like it wouldn't
1: i well i feel like sarah might think it would
0: Okay. I totally see that happening. I I would feel like it would be Sarah's thinking she's doing an act of rebellion, like, to society or something. Yeah.
1: But while I I am perfectly fine and happy to see another clone show some some same-sex attraction, I'm not thrilled that it happened in this context.
0: Yeah. I was watching it and I was like, oh, Stephanie's going to have things to say about this. (laughs)
1: So here are my things. I I dislike that bisexuality is often used as a shorthand in TV and movies as people going off the deep end, usually women going off the mm-hmm. deep end in a certain way. You know, they're in trouble. They're in crisis. Oh, because they're kissing girls and they usually are kissing guys. Yep. Yeah. Because it would be a different thing for me if Sarah had been shown previously to be attracted to women, but we hadn't really seen that tendency in her. We'd speculated about it, but it hadn't been demonstrated through a relationship or an attraction on screen. And also and also the fact that it was in the context of having a threesome that's often, it, you know, it insinuates it as deviant behavior, meaning that having threesomes is deviant behavior, which, right. you know, let's let people do what they want to do if everybody's consenting adults. Which is why, if this type of scene is something that kind of makes you go, I would recommend, for many reasons, but recommend watching episode four of Lost Girl, which is pretty much the antithesis of this type of bisexual threesome type scene. You you will thank me, probably. You can send those thanks to feedback at com. Go watch the episode. Also featuring the same song by Peaches.
0: <laughs> Again, signaling to us, oh, a threesome is imminent. <laughs>
1: My other observation about Sarah when she gets drunk, apparently she likes to call everybody a wanker. (laughs) I was really surprised when that guy passed her on the bridge. She didn't also call him a wanker. She just threw her bottle at him. Well, same thing. (laughs) And I feel like I should say we're being kind of lighthearted in discussing this episode. It's not to say we think that there weren't serious things that happened here. But since it was such a serious and sad episode, I think we're trying to find some lightness in it.
0: So here's a question what is with all the visions of Beth? Yeah. That was curious. Because, I mean, they keep referencing the connection between the clones. Helena mentioned it to Sarah a number of times. I think Beth or Vision Beth mentioned it here.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: We know that Kira is actually somehow mentally connected to the clones. So, like, what's the deal, show? Do they, do we think it's them? making some sort of uh, epigenetic commentary or something. Hmm.
1: I'm not sure. I am curious, though, what they might be alluding to. Because Beth's line in this episode was, I think this is the one you're talking about. She says, there's more than biology between us, Sarah. There's something else. You can feel it, too. And yes, I liked that line because I think, at least for me personally on first viewing, there was an ambiguity to it, where it mm-hmm. maybe suggested to you that Beth was saying, You also are going to kill yourself or you feel like you need to kill yourself. But I don't think that's what she was getting at at all, because she follows it up by saying, bring us together, Sarah, we need you. And and I wonder if that is what Beth thought she was doing when she killed herself, was bringing the rest of Clone Club together.
0: Hmm. I'm so sad right now. Oh, sorry. That's okay.
1: But I loved that conversation between the two of them on the bridge. That was a great scene.
0: It was a great scene. Also a great scene because Felix knows to find her there, or at least in that general vicinity. So I'm glad that Felix got to come in and and herd the clones, (laughs) essentially. He was really group mom in this episode,
1: which is interesting to me thinking back to the beginning of the season where he was kind of not going off the deep end, but indulging in his more hedonistic tendencies with
0: Adele. He was doing what Sarah was doing in this episode, kind of. Exactly,
1: exactly. And Sarah was trying to ask for his help, pull him back into what was going on with the clones, and they flipped places in this episode.
0: Yep. I kind of feel like that's probably how most of their relationship has gone.
1: When one of them kind of falls falls down, the other one is there to pick the other up.
0: I kind of feel like that, yeah. Yeah, I, I can see that. Before we move on to Felix fully, I wanted to read this comment from Lou, He says, I also felt Sarah was acting out way out of character in episode seven in the bar. You would think her instincts and paranoia would not let her act that way. Maybe that drink was spiked with something.
1: Yeah, I think it was spiked with just alcohol.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was gonna say, I, I guess I disagree with this idea, just because this isn't so far from the way we've seen Sarah be at various points in the past. Like, There's a strong indication that this is who Sarah was before Clone Club happened. Right. And so I think it's just Sarah trying to cope, really, you know? And
1: I think they made it clear throughout the episode in her conversations with Dizzy that she was just trying to forget all about all that other stuff, which is where her paranoia would stem from. She was trying to forget all about the clone stuff and shut off that part of her brain. So. Mm -hmm. You know, Lou, if you think she's acting out of character, you know, that's that's your perception. And we're not trying to tell you that you're wrong. It's just that me personally, I, I think I understand where Sarah was coming from and why she wasn't acting more suspicious.
0: Right. I agree.
1: But I love that Felix was even being a bit of a a mother hen to Mrs. S, his own mm-hmm. mother where he was making her a cup of tea and comforting her and you know, saying, you can cry now.
0: It'd be okay. This is an appropriate time to cry. I love Felix so much. We've seen him act sort of in this capacity before, especially last season when Mrs. S got beaten up by Seth. He's sort of hovering over and bringing her tea and that sort of thing. Calling her mum. I
1: love it when they call her mum. It just uh, gets me, me right, in, right in the heartstrings. And it makes sense that he, in this episode, is the most together one, I think.
0: Yeah, of all the characters, all of our main characters, he's the one who's not directly connected to Kendall. So, you know, I think he's got a little bit more distance on it than the others do. So not to say that it's not affecting him, obviously, but you can see how he'd be less, less affected. But I also love that he he comments to Mrs. S, you know, everything is going to get worse if Sarah goes off the rails. You like it or not, she's the glue that that's holding us together.
1: Which essentially is a precursor to what Beth tells her on the on the bridge that that's her role is bringing them together.
0: I also appreciated in that scene that he was telling Kara, "You you listen to me, don't listen to us, listen to me, and listen to your little heart." Yes, I love that. And listen to your little heart. I, I also love Uncle Felix. Felix was just great in this episode.
1: Ooh, it's Felix. true. Felix also, as well as saving the day with Sarah, he also had to save the day when it came to Cosima, who was doing her own share of reckless behavior in this episode. What is it with you guys? Come on.
0: (laughs) You're stressing us out.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But it's not surprising, right? It's not surprising. It's true. Especially even if Delphine wasn't involved. I I just feel like Sarah and Cosima are similar enough that if anybody was going to be this have this type of reaction this episode it would be these two so it, it makes sense to me mm-hmm. it was tough though because i had a lot of compassion for kasima but at the same time she was being grumpy with scott and again it was understandable but you wanted to be like kasima don't be mean to scott he's been so nice to you
0: i know scott is so supportive and he even comes in bringing what uh a bagel no he's a bagel he says i got your favorite bad coffee and a good
1: croissant and i just wanted to That's hug what was. him <laughs> Oh, Scott. And then, you know, he's the one who's really trying to be hopeful and push forward. He's like, I'm going to power the computers up to up again and see what's there, if anything. hmm Great Scott is great.
0: Yes, it's true. The one thing, though, I love Scott, I do, but he needs to learn how to take a door off its hinges. I wonder, though, if they put some sort of fancy security door on there and he couldn't. Maybe? I don't know. <laughs> I don't think so,
1: though, because... That's fair. It's just that Hellwiz has that line about how you know. Hellwiz? That's what that's what Scott called him. Hellwizard? Isn't that his name? Yeah, Hellwizard. Okay. Like, he calls him Hellwiz in this episode. I swear. Scott does. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but he has that line about how I think, you know, dude, I think we made this to, you know, reinforce this too much or something like that. But still,
0: like, come on, you guys. <laughs> You're never gonna get it open the way they were trying to get it open.
1: Scott also needed to mention that Felix had info about Delphine way sooner than he did.
0: I know, like, if you want her to answer the phone, you say it's about Delphine <laughs> I would think. I thought so too. I when he first started
1: talking, I was like, Scott, mention Delphine. Mention Delphine. Mention Delphine.
0: <sighs> Speaking of Delphine, Delphine! we've gotten so many <laughs> We've gotten so many messages from people, like anticipating, expecting, lamenting that you hadn't done it yet, your your Delphine cry.
1: That was for all you guys out there. I've been trying to keep it cool this season, guys. I've been trying. (sighs) Mm Mm-hmm. But Delphine! We got a little bit of information in this episode. (laughs) And actually, Such I, a smooth transition. <laughs> thank you. Flawless. I wanted to mention my partner, Susan, we were talking about last week's episode, and her theory was at the time, and I think this is a valid one, that maybe it was Duco who shot Delphine since it's been revealed in this season that he's kind of a, a henchman type for the for Neolution. And we she, did get
0: an email from somebody saying the same thing. Yeah.
1: And then, you know, she was also saying maybe Evie Cho actually did think Delphine was dead, but then she was speculating maybe the person sent to kill her showed some mercy and let her go. But obviously we get some information from Crystal via Felix. Finally, finally, mention Delphine sooner, Scott. That, <laughs> <laughs> that Crystal saw her get shot but then be taken away by somebody else and she was still alive. So like I said, hope. There's hope.
2: Hi, Chris and Stephanie. My name is Ida. I'd like to make a few quick comments about last night's Orphan Black. Firstly, can I just say that Tatiana Maslany is a phenomenal actress, probably the best on television right now. And last night, she proved just how good she is. It was heartbreaking to see Sarah and Cosima self-destruct. And kudos to Tatiana for portraying both characters' dark journeys so well. I mean, I noticed that this season has been, in terms of sheer emotional weight, this season has been really heavy because we've delved into Beth's backstory and, you know, we're looking a lot into Sarah and this past couple of episodes was Cosima. So I think that it's been an especially good season for Tatiana to showcase her full acting ability. And I really hope that she wins all the awards for her phenomenal work in this season. And speaking of the season, I really think this is the best since season one. I've enjoyed it so much. I love that the focus is back on the clones. And I also have to talk about one more thing. Last night proved to me again that the actor on the show with whom Tatiana has the best chemistry is Jordan Gavarez. I love the relationship between Sarah and Felix just like I love the relationships that Felix has with Alison and Crystal and and, and Cosima even, because, you know, Jordan and Tatiana, I think, play off each other really well. And we got to see that in its full glory last night, and I was really happy to see it. And so I think that last night was a strongly acted episode, although story-wise nothing very much happened, but that's fine. If there's any nitpick I'd like to make, it's that, I find it hard to believe that Felix waited so long to tell Cosima about Delphine. I mean, it's obviously for dramatic purposes, to save her from the brink, but, you know, both he and Art knew about Delphine quite some time ago, I think, so I, it feels contrived that they waited so long to tell anyone about it. But apart from that, it was a great episode in a great season, and I cannot wait to see what else is in store for us. And I also cannot wait to hear what you ladies have to say about the episode. Thanks for making the podcast so enjoyable. Bye-bye.
1: Thank you, Ida, for your voice message and for your sweet comments about the podcast. We really appreciate everybody who listens. I think that is a fair nitpick to have about the episode. It Certainly, if you take a step back and you think about it, it does stick out as a, oh, how convenient for dramatic purposes type of moment. I guess it didn't particularly stand out to me because I think I was in the same spot that Felix did when he had that realization, oh my gosh, I'm so stupid, I need to tell her about Delphine. I actually had the same response. I had forgotten that he had that information that he needed to
0: pass on because so much stuff had been going on around him. Everybody's got stuff going on. I mean, I would think grief over Kendall would sort of overwhelm anything else in your mind in the moment. Right. But- I agree. I I think it was just that with
1: everything going on, with everybody that he loves, I think, Felix, it just slipped his mind.
0: Right. I mean, we don't even know if Felix knew that Cosima thought that Delphine was dead. Right. So, who knows?
1: That plot point worked for me in the moment, and I, I do think it's believable that he would just forget, given everything that was happening. However, I do take your point, Ida, that it does seem very convenient for dramatic purposes. We also got an email from Laura from Brazil, and this was in response, actually, to last week's episode. And she said, "Kasima, that just broke my heart. I was so worried that they would hurt Kasima. They didn't do it physically, but they did it emotionally. I really had my hopes high that Delphine was alive. But as Graham said in the interview about this episode, we don't know if we can trust Evie, and we have to know what Crystal has to say. I'm also really worried that they about losing all the data and Kendall. And we need to save Kasima. We do need to save Kasima." But I wanted to read this because last week I was asking the question of why did they leave Cosima alive? And I liked at the beginning of this episode, they kind of followed up with that, with Kasima saying they left her alive so that she could tell everybody, oh, yeah, Kendall and D- Delphine are dead.
0: To deliver the message.
1: Poor little Cosima. But Cosima, I love you so much, but sometimes you are just, you're, you're too foolhardy. You don't, I mean, Evie Cho, not trustworthy. And you're going to put one of her bots in her mouth when you don't really know what it does? No, baby girl, no.
0: I know. (laughs) What's up with that? Like, she just betrayed you. She just betrayed you. Why would you put something that she put into Sarah? Why would you put that in your face? But again, I know, end
1: end of her rope, she made that comment about how you know, she basically is pulling pulling a Charlotte. Like her, the data that they might get if she did this crazy thing would be val- more
0: valuable than just her dying alone. So, uh, but Cosima, why? Once again, paralleling Casima and Sarah, right? Yeah, not not really suicidal, but vaguely suicidal. Yes, it makes me sad. It gave me
1: hope, but it also made me sad when Felix finally was able to tell her that crystal saw delphine be taken away alive and she sobs and she says she says thank you to felix and that got me all choked up and then i think if not the very next scene nearly the very next scene was sarah and mrs s clasping hands and i just burst into tears and you know me chris i am not a weeper at television she's really not generally but oh my gosh that just it got to me this episode
0: i mean you know me i was probably already crying oh
1: yeah i know (laughs) (laughs) You've been crying for at least five minutes.
0: I mean, I've been crying all season.
1: <laughs> not continuously. Like, I don't think Chris is crying
0: now. <laughs> I might be a little bit, but <laughs> it's just, it's been a rough TV season. It's not just this show. It's, it's all the shows. It's true. At least Orphan Black has been rough
1: in a good way, rather than rough in a frustrating way. It's true. I thought it was very sweet to see Art checking in with Mrs. S. I know. know. Oh, Art. And Mrs. S saying thank you for sticking with them. Oh, that was a nice
0: moment. And from the information he gets from Mrs. S, he knows that it's Duco. Duco. Who was... Ugh. Yeah. Duco. So he goes and he confronts Duco Ugh. several times with his foot. <laughs> <laughs> but it backfires on him. Ugh. Poor Art. Yeah. Although... I wanted to point out, one of the things that Duco accuses Art of is aiding the Hendrixes, he, which he didn't do. He knew nothing about that. So, I'm curious, do we think Duco was bluffing, or do we think Duco was was implying that they could frame him for doing that? I think option B. Okay. That is my suspicion. And, and I think you make a good point,
1: that Duco, Duco, showing up at the Hendrixes' door... Could be equal parts retaliation against art and part of Evie's bigger plan to take care of Clone Club. But did you suspect when you heard the knock, knock, knock at the door that it was going to be the police? I thought it was going to be Felix.
0: I had hoped. I didn't really expect it would be, but I had hoped desperately that it would be Helena. <laughs> because how great would that have been, right? That would have the been a great story. It yeah.
1: would have been a great end
0: to the ghost story. I know. As he was telling the story and with the knocking on the on the floor next to him, I was just like, it would be so great if at the end of this, like Helena's adorable little face showed up in the window of the door. Hopefully not like in the first wearing season. a weather-
1: wedding dress covered in blood holding a knife.
0: <laughs> no, no. I was thinking like season one when she shows up and-, and Oh, with Kira? Kira mm, opens the door. Yeah. More like that. Okay. That was still scary, but you're right. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, it was scary, but it was Okay. <laughs> Like Helena. Helena is scary, but she's okay. <laughs> she would never hurt children. <laughs> oh, of course not. Of course not.
1: And speaking of people who are cute with children, I thought Donnie was pretty adorable telling the scary story to the group of kids. It was so cute. And I love the ending where he was holding a birthday cupcake.
0: Ah, <laughs> oh, Donnie.
1: And that got a smile out of Allison, which made me happy because she was being so chilly toward him at the beginning of the episode. It's true. Because it felt like when Donnie hugged her, it felt like Allison was doing it for Donnie, and she didn't actually derive any comfort out of it.
0: Yeah, I, I see
1: what you're saying. And that might be an incorrect reading on on my part, but the way she kind of like
0: patted her back, it was like, you did a good job, honey, giving me that hug. <laughs> it's it's one of those things like, um, oh, there's the thing about the different love languages or whatever it is, mm-hmm. right, where people communicate affection in different ways. And I feel like Donnie's probably one of those touchy-feely guys And Allison is not terribly receptive to that. Yeah. (laughs) But, you know, being sweet with the kids, like, that works.
1: (laughs) But I think that Donnie knows that about Allison, that she's not an over – she's not a sherry person, which is why he made kind of a poor attempt to help her out by contacting their pastor. Isn't the last time we saw that guy when they tried to do the intervention with Allison (laughs) –
0: I couldn't remember if it was that guy or if it was a different guy. He looked familiar.
1: I think it might be the same guy, but don't quote me on that. I haven't checked IMDb or gone back to consult the episode in in season
0: one, but he did look familiar to me. Okay.
1: However, I don't know. he could just be a Canadian actor I've seen on a bunch of other shows,
0: <laughs> or he could have been at Ainsley's funeral in season two. Ah, good point.
1: And I really loved that opening scene with Allison for for a couple of reasons. It was it was so very Allison. To see her trying to push through her grief by relying on these little civil, polite manners types of things you do, writing the sympathy card to Mrs. S. It was just very Allison to me.
0: Right. And the flower arrangement, which is so Allison, the flower arrangement and a handwritten note.
1: Yes. And I liked that we saw her when she got upset. She got on her knees and she started praying. Because she's a character who has worn a cross around her neck the entire series, but they haven't delved much into the religious side of her life. Right. And I really liked that moment. And it kind of made me sad that she stopped, became like, oh my gosh, I'm being weak and emotional and silly and I need to pull myself together.
0: And started swearing, Allison style. (laughs) Fudge me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Allison, you're so unexpectedly heartbreaking. But yeah, she moves from that to, like, going all Allison on Gemma's birthday, which is also, like, I'm not remotely surprised that that's how Allison's coping. I mean, this episode is just entirely about people trying to cope with their grief, you know, which is hard to watch.
1: In regards to Gemma's birthday party, I was a little unclear as to why they showed Gemma being grumpy. I kind of thought that might develop into more of a plot point than it actually did. But I guess maybe she was just supposed to be a moody kid, maybe.
0: Yeah, that's kind of all I can come up with is either just having a little kid mood swing or possibly picking up on her mom's grumpiness. Sometimes that can be a factor. I mean, I don't know.
1: That's a good point. Maybe because Allison was being snippy, that made her upset. Like, oh, my parents are kind of at it again. That's a good point.
0: Or maybe she was just upset because she wanted a, a soccer boot cookie and there wasn't one there.
1: Are they? Are those soccer cleats? Is that Canadian for soccer cleat? I would assume so. Okay. I don't know. I also wanted to mention that I really loved Allison's line about, there are hot dogs in the freezer, Mr. I am putting my foot down.
0: <laughs> That's such a great line. I tweeted that when I was doing the live tweet during the episode airing. It's and all it's, in the delivery.
1: Yes, and like, but the hot dogs are still in the freezer, Allison. They'll keep. Like, why, why, is, why are you putting your foot down about the hot dogs?
0: She does not want them there anymore, Stephanie.
1: <laughs> so let's wrap up by talking about a few stray thoughts. What about Dizzy? I was surprised to see him again, that he's still was useful in the storyline in the season and he seems to be even more invested in this whole situation than we originally thought yeah like what
0: is that guy's deal and he makes me nervous and i probably shouldn't be nervous because it seems like his goals are maybe not so different from clone clubs but unknown element makes me nervous
1: I agree. I'm not 100% sure we can touch uh, trust him.
0: Partially because he seems to have an Irish accent that comes and goes. Is that just me? I don't know if it's Irish. I don't know what it is. Cuz sometimes he sounds very Canadian to me. Like occasionally there's a word that's like, "Oh, it's a very Canadian pronunciation," but it's not always Canadian mm. that I can tell. I don't know. Yeah.
1: My only guess about him possibly for either the character's background or maybe the actor's background is that He's lived in Canada for a very long time, but immigrated from somewhere else. And so his accent has mostly changed to Canadian, but he still has a few words that he pronounces more like his original accent.
0: But also, he's he's. I, mean, I doubt he'll be out of the picture for the rest of the season. It seems unlikely at this point. And he still has ties to MK. Who popped up again in this episode, which we, we mentioned earlier,
1: which I thought was interesting. What is she up to contacting Kira that way? Because it seems...
0: An odd choice, right? Why go to Kira? But I, I was I was heartened that she told Kira she could call her Mika.
1: Me too. And and speaking of Kira, I've been wondering since Kendall died in the last episode, hmm. is it possible? I'm sorry, is it possible that Kasima would be more willing to do another bone marrow transplant from Kira as a stopgap? Because I know she told Kendall no at the beginning of the season, but she had more options then.
0: Right. We I mean also enough time has passed. They said before I think it had to be six weeks or something between bone marrow extraction. Donation, whatever whatever the <laughs> word like, is. I don't know what I don't know what word to use here. But they they said six weeks or something, that was season two, end of season two. Who knows how long season three was? <laughs> and then they've had a couple of months. So enough time has passed. But poor care has been through enough. She has. She really has. I really I wish we had seen
1: a follow-up scene between her and Sarah, or even her and Sarah and Mrs. S at the end of this episode, but I'm hoping we will hear he- see more of Kira. She'll, she'll get more storyline and, and coming up soon.
0: They've certainly set it up as a distinct possibility,
1: yeah. And speaking of Mrs. S, I loved that she was shown cleaning her rifle. That was her coping mechanism of choice in this episode.
0: It makes sense to me, you know, something sort of uh, methodical, common methodical. I feel like I would do
1: something similar if I was upset. I don't have a rifle, but something calming and methodical. Same, same.
0: Cleaning a rifle is way more badass than knitting, though.
1: I know. (laughs) Or editing audio, podcast audio. (laughs) You know, to each their own. (laughs) And I mentioned Lost Girl earlier in the episode. I'm mentioning it again because the actor who played Tito, he played the character Trist over on Lost Girl in season two. And he was he was similarly kind of gross over on Lost Girl, but more more appealingly so.
0: <laughs> appealingly gross. Okay. Yes. Okay, yes. Stephanie. I,
1: I liked Trist. I mean he was gross again, but I kind of thought he was fun. I wish we had seen him subsequently from from season two.
0: <laughs> but speaking of, of Tristan Lost Girl, because he was a friend of Kenzie's Kenzie, played by Casenia Solo which then leads us to an email we got from Golly asking, where is Shay? Are we to assume her story will be intertwined with Delphine's?
1: Well, first of all, can I, can I just point out that detailed transition you, you just made, Chris? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm intrigued by the idea of Shay's story being inter- intertwined with Delphine's. I don't think we have any strong suggestions that it will be, but I think it could be,
0: and that could be interesting. There are there are ways they could do that. I mean, I don't see it seems unlikely, as you said. But <laughs> how about this? How about Shay was following Delphine after Delphine had showed up shown up at her apartment because of course curiosity had gotten the best of her. So she was somewhere off in the distance or in the shadows or something in the parking lot when Delphine gets shot by Dugo or whoever. Whoever it is who shoots her Leaves, then Shay emerges and gets Delphine to safety somehow. Be- because maybe when she
1: was in the military, maybe she had some experience treating wounds, such such wounds.
0: Hmm? Yes, possibly. I mean, and? she's she studied Eastern medicine, apparently, so who knows? Or maybe she took her to a military facility because- She's maybe still associated with the military or something, and then maybe Cal showed up since Cal is gone, <laughs> and Cal also has military associations. Why not? And <laughs> <laughs> well, and they similarly seem pretty well off from potentially their military past. I don't know. As I mentioned last season, I, I think at some point I threw out there maybe it was during the hiatus, maybe that's the connections. If if Shay was somehow connected to some other characters, since as you say, seem. Fairly well off with the, have former military connections. I don't know. Just throwing it out there.
1: That is absurd sounding, but not impossible
0: sounding. (laughs) That is what I was aiming for. (laughs) Well done. Thank you. And then MK will contact Cal because Uh they know each other from hacker circles.
1: (laughs) Exactly. Bringing it back around. There you go. Maybe that's why MK was contacting Kira about, she was trying to get a message from her dad.
0: Yeah, there you go. Let's just let's just go all out with the speculation. Why not? <laughs> now I'm trying to figure out how we. Oh, military connections. No, no, that won't work. I was going to try and bring Tony back in through this story too,
1: because we we also would like to see Tony come back, and more, even more so, we want to see Helena very soon. I feel confident Helena is going to come back. Less confident Shay is going to come back, though. I felt like I read something that she was, but maybe I maybe I made that up.
0: I haven't read it, but I haven't read much. So, But Helena will definitely be back at some point, hopefully soon. She damn well better be. Where is she? I miss her. I may be too attached to Helena, Stephanie.
1: Well, and I have curiosities about what, if anything, will come of her science babies, you know, that she buried a few episodes ago. I, I don't know that necessarily the ones that she forgot to, that she did not know to feed liquid nitrogens to. I, I don't know if those necessarily will be helpful because she did not know to feed the liquid nitrogens to them. Uh, but what about the the science babies that's, that she's got going on in her tummy? You know, those could maybe be helpful.
0: I would not be surprised.
1: Not that I'm saying, you know, experiment on Helena's science babies, but it, it feels like It feels like that doer should be more
0: plot relevant, and it hasn't been yet. I mean, she was moving that thing around place to place for, I don't know, a season and a half? Right. It feels like it should be, yeah, you're right. It feels like it should be more plot relevant than being buried in the Hendrix's backyard. But who knows? I love that scene. It was so sweet. It was. It was a good scene. With her bedazzled grave marker. (laughs) So Helena. Actually, so Allison. So Helena
1: trying to be Allison.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's like, so Helena filtered through the lens of Allison.
1: (laughs) We also received an email from Fred, and it's a little on the longer side, but I wanted to read all of it. The staircase from which Rachel falls down at the end of Episode 7 is very reminiscent, although mirrored, of the staircase in the classic 1997 movie Gattaca with Ethan Hawke and Uma Thurman. A lot of geneticists, including me, use this when educating genetics, especially when it's about the ethics of the genetics and what the future could bring. This always gives nice discussions with the students. If the makers of Orphan Black really use the double spiral staircase as referring to Gattaca, although mirrored, I want to compliment them on doing this. Even if it's not a referral to Gattaca, but to DNA in general, they should be complimented on that. If you look at it from the even more symbolic way... You could even say that the fact that Rachel falls down these stairs means that the makers want to say, don't forget that it is not all genetic and we should not think we can manipulate everything. Just like Kasima says in episode six to Evie Cho and just like the main message of the film Gattaca. Thank you, Fred, for that email. I hadn't really made note of the staircase, though I'm sure I would have on rewatch. And I think for sure it's a reference to DNA. I'd be curious, though, if they also wanted to... Throwing a little shout out to Gattaca. Thank you for bringing up Gattaca. I actually think Gattaca is a very underrated science fiction film. I'm not saying it's fantastic, but I think it's pretty darn good and especially pretty interesting in the context of bioethics and genetics. So if Orphan Black is really your bag and you haven't seen Gattaca, go watch it. It's a pretty good movie. We would love to hear your thoughts about this episode, as well as your thoughts about this episode of the podcast you can leave a comment on the show notes over at tatianaiseveryone.com slash 106. Send us email to feedback at tatianaiseveryone.com. You can also record a voice memo on your smartphone and email it to us. We really like getting voice messages, so you can also call and leave a message on our listener voicemail line, 972 514 We are on Twitter at TIE Podcast, and we're also on Facebook.
0: Tatiana is Everyone is part of the Ask Genre TV family of podcasts. We have other podcasts about Killjoys and Lost Girl and some other things, including our new podcast, analysis in which we're currently covering episodes of Winona Earp. All of those can be found over at AskGenreTV.com.
1: And we'd like to thank our house band this week, the Crying Maslanis. And on bass, we have Tatiana Maslani. On guitar, we've got Tatiana Maslany. On drums, we've got Tatiana Maslany. In our entire audience is
0: Tatiana Maslany. And thank you for listening, Tatiana Maslany. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, TV. Why do you do this to me?